like Dion said, this day that we celebrate is not a day that man made up. It's not just a good idea. It's a day that changed the course of history. Because Jesus is alive. When I was little, uh, I think about five or six years old, in the strand where I grew up, there was a market. And a Muslim guy that got saved actually came to give his testimony there. And you must remember, the markets back then were, were basically ran by Muslims. And he had all these guys selling their fruit and whatever they were selling, and they had their stalls there, and this guy got onto one of these little pallets. And he got onto it, and he stood there, and he gave his testimony as a Muslim guy that Jesus came and saved him. And I remember until today how he said, he said that Jesus died and rose again, and that impacted his life. He said, Muhammad died, and he was buried, and he was eaten by the worms, and therefore he cannot serve him any longer. He had to run for his life. (laughs) People were not happy with him. But that is a true word. That no other leader, all of them died. But none of them rose again. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we, we do what we do. Because we serve a risen Savior. The cradle is empty. Don't go look for Jesus there. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty, but heaven is filled with his glory. And it's from there that he will come to fetch his bride. Because heaven is filled with his glory. He is seated at the right hand of God. And that is our living hope, that from there Jesus will come to fetch his bride. Forever he is glorified. So I'm going to actually preach tonight on where are you looking for Jesus? Because some of us, because of tradition, we we look at Jesus in all the wrong places. Because somebody has told us to look for him there. And because we didn't know better, we actually, when we think of Jesus around the end of the year, everybody sends you cards with Jesus in in a little manger. He's not there. My phone is talking to me again. Why? I wonder if my phone is competing to preach because forever this thing, when I start preaching, this phone wants to talk to me. So I'll just put it softer. So that's, that's normally I press it at home as well when <laughs> there's other voices. I just press the mute button. <laughs> no, no, it's just my phone. It's my phone. <laughs> so I'm going to pre- preach about where are you looking for Jesus? He's not in the cradle. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the tomb. So I want you to picture this. And I can, I, I'm, I'm standing at a distance um, because I know Marcel, I, I, you know, I might still beat him down the aisle here. So I can say what I want to say because I've got a head start. 
But, but picture myself and myself walking on the beach. And we're walking, we have a deep theological conversation on this beach at Melkbos and me, or at Bloberg. And we're walking along, and I say to him, myself, mind that dead seagull. And he goes, where? <laughs> Some of them will get it later. <laughs> Why is that funny? Because you don't expect the dead seagull to be flying. And for the same reason, it's weird that Jesus' followers came to the tomb because he told them that he will not remain dead, he will rise again. You don't look for a living savior in a tomb. As much as you don't look for a dead seagull flying around. But his, his followers forgot that he actually said he will rise again. And therefore, they came to the tomb. Are we going to read John 19, uh, John 20 verse 1, sorry, John 20 verse 1. And it says this, um, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord of, um, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Remain there for a moment. Ask yourself the question as you read this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary came to the tomb. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why? Like I said, if she understood, even in the last moment of Jesus' life, after, just before he got arrested, Peter still rebuked Jesus and said, you will not die. Jesus had to tell him, keep quiet, Peter. Peter still resisted when Jesus handed himself over to the soldiers that came to arrest him. And, and he was constantly telling them that I'm going to hand myself over to the leaders. They will kill me. And they said, no, you won't. And if they only paid attention, they would have seen that all the preparations for his death has already been made. So Mary comes to the tomb and I ask myself, why? She's coming with some spices. Now, it could be a woman thing. It could be a woman thing. Because if you go and read, if you can read um, earlier on, you'll find that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used 34 kilograms, almost a bag of cement. They used 34 kilograms of spices on Jesus before they buried him. So, so that was already done. And, and Mary was sitting across from the tomb watching what the men were doing. And maybe, maybe she just thought, ah, oh, the men didn't do it right. It wouldn't be a, uh, the first time they think like that. The men didn't do it right, so therefore I'll come and I'll do it again. If she was in the household, um, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus sat down at the table and she saw Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, come and anoint his feet, and, 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 and Jesus says, don't stop her. She's preparing me for, my, for a burial. She ignores all those things that happened before. You know why? Because Mary had her own mission that was more important than God's mission. 
she wanted to be the one who prepared him for the burial. So she came to the, she came to the tomb with a mission. And that blinded her to what God was doing. And to me, that's a warning in the modern day church. People are on a mission for God and they are sincere. But their mission is almost greater than the mission that God has given us. They want to do, they want to be the one. No matter if anybody else prepared him, no matter if anybody else anointed him or put the spices on him, they want, she wanted to be the one. And her mission was so strong, her mission was so compelling that when she gets to the tomb, what's her words? Where have they taken him? Why? Because she actually wished he was still dead so that she could put the spices on him. And she missed the move of God. She missed the move of God. Let me tell you, often people, when, they, when they, um, they've been with, with, with God, they've served Him, and then they are separated from Him. Hers was only two days. She was only separated for two days. And already she got it wrong. Now, sometimes people backslide, or sometimes people, uh, their relationship with God goes into a bit of a, 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 a lull. And what happens is when they come back, when they are serious about Jesus again, they come back and they go to where they left Jesus the last time they had relationship with him. The last time she saw Jesus was when she was sitting. She was sitting across from the tomb. And she's looking at the tomb and she's looking and she's saying to herself, the Christ of God is dead. So when she comes back, she's going back to the tomb. She's not looking for a risen Savior. Although he said over and over, I will rise again. You know what? You know what? That the, the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders, remembered what they forgot. They forgot what he said. When, when the disciples sit in that little room and they were locked up and they, they were so scared for any movement outside, they forgot that he said he will rise again. But the opposition remembered because they said, let's seal the tomb. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you, as I always used to say, with tears in my navy blue eyes, I'm asking you, could it be that the stuff that Jesus has told you, could it be that he's spoken prophetic word, that he's actually spoken guidance, he's actually given you direction, he's actually spoken to you and told you very, very specifically what he's about to do in your life and you have forgotten and you're going back to the tomb to, to do the ritual, to do your mission and you're missing what Jesus had told you he's going to do in your life. Our mission should be the mission that God has put us on. I see often people, and it's a concern in my heart. You'll hear, I, I, I bleed local church. I, I, I love church. And it, it concerns me. I, I wonder if I, I, could, I could use Dion as an example. I'm not sure. He looks quite strong and uh, fit, and so I might not be as safe as with myself. But Dion, I want to go as far as to say, in our day, if we had to dance, we had some good moves, didn't we? At least we thought so. But Dion, 
if one of the matric girls had to take you to the matric ball and you pulled those moves, <laughs> you might even pull a hamstring, but if you pull the moves, <laughs> it might be outdated. Right, to say the least. And in the same way, people serve Jesus and they learn a response to the Holy Spirit. They learn what happens in their time that, that, that they're moving in and there's a response. Let's, let's, let's call it, what was that, laughing years ago? Toronto Blessing. Let's say you were on fire during the Toronto Blessing and you learned to laugh. And then you go on your own trip and you come back and, and then you feel one day you're in a meeting and you feel the Holy Spirit again. Chances are you'll go back to the laughing because that's what you've learned how you should respond to the Holy Spirit. But our God is so creative, He doesn't expect us to respond the same way every time. If you don't, exp- if you don't want to, if you're a matric girl right now and you don't want to take me or Bobby to your matric dance just because we can embarrass you, then please understand, please understand that having the same response to the Holy Spirit that's also inappropriate because that's actually in the flesh. If you know, if you know how you're going to respond when the Holy Spirit comes, it's actually in the flesh. It's got to be spontaneous. This is the God. If you look, if you look at the amount of people in this place and we don't look, look the same, and some might say hallelujah, but we don't look the same. We look different. God is creative. Then he also, when his Holy Spirit moves amongst us, he'd welcome some new response. Not some old response that we've, some learned response, but a new response to the instruction that God gives. She missed it because she went back to where she saw Jesus last. So she was on her own mission. Here's the thing you can see, okay, she's fast, eh? She goes, she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not where. Uh, do not know where they've laid him. So here's what happens when you don't respond to the current move of the Spirit. When you move, when you respond to the current move of the Spirit, you're with it. You, 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 you can't go wrong. But when, you are con- when you're on your own mission, then your message that you run with can be sincere, but it can be sincerely wrong. In her case, was she sincere? Yes. She, she so much wanted Jesus to be there so that she could anoint him, so that she could put the spices on him, that she, she ran and she was sincerely wrong. And God forbid that we're running with a message that's wrong. That we're running sincerely, but we, we, we're bringing the wrong message across. Because not only, not only did she say this to Peter and to, to John, um, she actually later on says it to the angel as well, that they've taken the Jesus away. And then later she says to Jesus, they've taken Jesus away. Sincerely wrong. You see, my concern is that I can feel that God is moving. I can feel that God is almost like a build-up. Something is about to happen, and I do not want us to miss it. Because we respond 
in an old way. We react to where we've seen him last and we want to go there. I've given it a name. I say, I'm saying you're stuck on Friday. There are Christians today and they are thankful that they are saved. They are thankful that they are born again. They are thankful that their sins are forgiven, but they stuck on Friday. They stuck at the tomb. They haven't moved on yet. And maybe as, they, as the disciples and their friends sat around. They sat there and they thought about what Jesus did. They remembered his life. They remembered his miracles. And they remembered some of his teachings. But they forgot that he said he will rise again. And I, I can't help but ask again. Could it be that you find yourself where the disciples found, found themselves where they were desperate? They were depressed. They, they had shattered dreams. They were, they were a mess because they'd forgotten what he said. Maybe you're sitting here and your life's a mess. Maybe you're sitting here and you're depressed. You're heartbroken. You, you're battling with shattered dreams. I'm telling you the reason for that is you're stuck at Friday. You're stuck at only knowing Jesus as the one who died for you. See, Jesus dying for you is not the full gospel. The gospel is Jesus died, but he rose again. And he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. From where he will come to fetch his bride, he's got us. He's got us in his hand. He's alive. And therefore, our circumstances can change if we believe in the risen Savior. If you're, taking, if you're taking strain right now, it's most probably because you're stuck at Friday. So let's, let's just for a moment look at, at the prelim to chapter 20, verse 1. Mary arrives at the grave. And we know that the tomb is open. But what happened just before that? What happened just that few moments before Mary got there? It says that there was an earthquake. But, but what caused the earthquake? You see, when they laid Jesus to rest in that tomb, the hymn writer says, Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord, and up from the grave, he arose. In that moment before Mary gets there, it wasn't a gentle, a gentle getting up in the morning like some of you, where you battle to get out of bed. Hey, Bobby, 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 Bobby's like awake in the moment I said that. <laughs> it, it's, it's not a battling to get out of bed where you roll and you, uh, uh, I better get up. No, no, no. Jesus burst forth from being dead to being alive. A bit like that volcano we had a little, a little while ago, um, where, where that volcano under the sea, it, 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 it erupted and it came out with such a force that we had tidal waves going all over the show. 
Jesus didn't gently get up of the grave. He burst forth. The bars could not contain him. He burst forth into life. And you can put up for me there, please, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, the reason why he burst forth. It says, but Christ has been raised from the dead to be the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, his resurrection doesn't just make him alive. His resurrection gives us life. Because he's the firstborn, we will be risen as well. We will receive, the res- receive a resurrected life as well. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ has done. It's not just him coming alive. It's giving life to us. As a matter of fact, his resurrection is prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah 25 verse 8 says this. And nothing happened on that day. <laughs> Don't you have that one? Isaiah, this is prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah 750 odd years before Jesus came, he said this, he will swallow up death forever. And we've just seen that he's become the firstborn. He's become the first fruit from the dead. And he has swallowed up death forever. But let, let me take you closer to that. The next verse that I gave you, please. Um, I think it's um, 1 Corinthians. Is it there? Look, to, look at this. No, it's not that. Go back. It's, it should be Corinthians. 1 Corinthians somewhere. Not there. 1 Corinthians 15. Not that? Okay, 1 Corinthians 15 says, But in Christ... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. No, it's not that what I'm looking for. I'll think about it now. It will come to me now. Come to me now. Um, the point is that death was swallowed up in victory. It's about around about verse 50 or whatever, but we'll, don't worry about it. Death, if you read 1 Corinthians, it says, death is swallowed up in victory, and that is the fulfillment of Isaiah, of the prophecy of Isaiah. And therefore we could sing, Death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. Prophecy has been fulfilled on that day. It wasn't just Jesus being raised and now he's alive. No, no. Jesus fulfilled fulfilled prophecy the moment he came out of the grave because he swallowed up death. 55. 1555. There we go. So, the resurrection of Jesus is prophecy fulfilled. It's not a random act. It's not just something, a by-the-way thing that God said, Oh my word, now he's died, so we better raise him again. No, no. 750 years before this happens, the prophet says it's going to happen. And it proves once again that God is in control of everything. And if you will allow him, he will be in control of your life. But you need to surrender to him. The other thing I'd like you to see about Mary, she comes and she's got spices. She comes to the grave, 
and she's dressed for the occasion. She comes with spices. She comes to a funeral. Now, the picture you need to get, how this looks, imagine you get invited to one of other president's inauguration, and you asked to, you are asked to dress accordingly. You will also, you, you might wear a black dress, but it's going to be evening wear. Everybody will know the bling on it, the makeup, the, 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 the extras that you will have on. Everybody will know you're going to an inauguration. Mary comes dressed for a funeral, attending an inauguration. Because Jesus, when he rose, he actually sets in place as part of the whole big picture. He sets in place the new covenant for us. It's, the inaugur- it's part of the inauguration of the new covenant. And Mary comes dressed for a funeral. You know what? Before we laugh at Mary, some of us come into God's presence in the same way. We don't look like people coming to a celebration. We've got to be wound up. I'm actually sometimes looking for, the, for that little lever, like the old Lister diesel motors. I'm looking like, where can we get that lever? We can just wind these people up a bit. Because we come into the presence of God. Instead of in celebration of what, is, what Jesus has done for us, we come as if he's still in the tomb. My friend, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And it's time that we come into his presence. It's time that we, we, we're a bit like the Baptist where he said, he's risen. Exactly. Exactly. We have forgotten what it's like to walk up to somebody and say, he's risen. But wait till the Springboks win the World Cup. We tell everybody. Facebook is alive. Oh, that's a miracle. Okay, that's right. <laughs> guys, guys, if we truly Christ followers, the words Jesus is alive should mean something to us. Please don't come to a, to a celebration with your funeral clothes on. You look a bit out of sorts. When that happens. She's coming not just to an inauguration. She's coming to a moment where God changes things. She's coming to a moment where God is pressing the reset button. God is shifting the emphasis. Where the Jews emphasized the Sabbath. Emphasize the Sabbath. God is shifting the emphasis to the first day of the week. If you notice, Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath. The Pentecost happened on the first day of the week. And we were told together on the first day of the week. But somehow we still get it in our mind we need to go back to Saturday. Friday and Saturday is gone. God is shifting the emphasis to the first day of the week. Why? Because he reset us to factory settings. Because in Genesis 1 verse 3, I didn't, I, I'm not sure if I gave that. But, but in Genesis 1 verse 3, he said, let there be light. And light came out of his mouth at the speed of light. Light didn't hesitate. 
Light didn't wonder, what, what is light? How should we, uh, how, how do we do this light thing now, God? Now, when God said, let there be light, there was light at the speed of light. And on this morning, when Mary comes to the tomb, it's as if God said again, let there be light. Because the light of the world came out of that tomb. He said, let there be light. And light was. The light of God, the light of this world came out of that tomb. And when he, when he actually stood up, he didn't have to push that rock away. It just gave way. Because there's nothing that can stand in the way of Jesus. There's nothing that can stand in the way of the Son of God. Not even your problems. Not even the difficulties that you face. So God at that moment presses the reset button. And Mary comes to that occasion with some spices. It was a nice idea. It was sincere. But she was sincerely wrong. And I'm asking us to, to examine our hearts. Is this stuff, could it, could it be that there's some stuff that we do in response that, that, that's good Christianese? Is there some stuff that we do because we think this is the good thing to do, but it's not the God thing to do? Because right now, Jesus doesn't need spices. He's alive. And maybe you're standing with a bowl of spices, a bowl of works. I want to do this for Jesus. But he doesn't need your works. He needs you to be his ambassador. He needs you to be the one to take the gospel to the nations. Could it be? That we're missing such a great occasion because we're on our own mission. This is something that Mary missed. And I need to move on before I pray the lights out, preach the lights out tonight. This is something that Mary missed. In the olden days, when I spoke Friday, I spoke about how the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies to bring the offering. And that he had to go in with the offering to atone for sin. And the blood had to be sprinkled around the mercy seat. Now let me just give you that picture. The mercy seat was on the, in the middle of this box, the ark. And either side of that middle part was a seraphim or angel facing inward. So they were facing one another with their wings outstretched and the tip of the wings touching one another. And in the middle was the open space because God's people dared not try and make an image that looked like God because they couldn't imagine what God looked like. He would be greater than anything they would be come up with. So, you, so any other idol that people tell you this is God, that's rubbish. Because there's no way that man can come up with an image of God. So here in the middle, in the middle of, the, uh, of these two um, uh, angels, in the middle of these two seraphim, you have an open space. It's called the mercy seat. And from there, God would speak to his people. And he'd give them instruction. And whatever God said from there was important because you had to do it. Now that happened in the Old Testament. So Mary walks in, but she's on a mission so she misses, misses this picture. She walks in and the Bible actually says, yeah, let me try and find it. Um, um, uh, verse, 11, verse 11 of chapter 20. It said, and Mary stood weeping outside the tomb um, and, she, and she wept and she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels 
Listen to this description. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus has laid, one at the head and one at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you have two angels sitting the distance of the length of a man apart, facing one another, their wings will touch one another, and it's the same picture of the mercy seat. And God spoke again. Jesus wasn't there. Just his, the, the clothes that he was wrapped in, that was there. Jesus wasn't there. But the picture that she saw was God speaking again. God saying, I'm in this. I rose Jesus. And she missed it because she was on her mission. Tell you, in that moment, when, when that picture was shown to man, God spoke again. And he said, this is a God thing. This is not a man thing. This is not just a normal miracle. But the fact that the two angels are there and nothing in the middle, it's God saying, I am in control of all of this. And it's one of the greatest pictures that we as Christ followers can look at, knowing that our God raised Jesus from the dead. And I'm actually going to apply, I'm actually going to ask... Kim them, if we could get a, a CD with hallelujah on it. So when, we, when I say stuff like that, then somebody can play hallelujah. Because it's like, it's like, uh, there we go, there we go, there we go. God spoke again. So can you ask yourself the picture, why did she miss, why did she miss such a vital moment? For the same reason that we miss vital moments because of her old picture of Jesus. You see the Jesus that she had in mind? She saw him being crucified. She saw the blood. She saw the crown. She saw the nails. She saw him die. She saw the spear going in. She saw him being wrapped up with spices by two men, and being put in a tomb. And the blood, I suppose, started oozing through the material. And that was the old picture of Jesus. So when she stands in Jesus' presence, she doesn't recognize him because she, see, she expects to see the old picture of him. And maybe, maybe you're here, and your old picture of Jesus or of church is hurt and pain. Somebody hurt you. Somebody, somebody did you wrong. And therefore, that's your picture of church or that's your picture of Jesus. It hurts. And, and you miss the fact that Jesus has been re- resurrected and he's alive. He has changed and you don't recognize him. Because you're looking through old lenses. To a new Jesus. Can I challenge you tonight? Will you take that old lenses off? I know of a man, you know, do you know Rex Reform? It's a, it's a clothing company in Salt River. Rex Reform in the late 70s, my dad worked there, employed a guy to fix up all the broken windows. All the windows with cracks in it, they gave him the job to fix it. And he started replacing all the windows. All the, he just replaced windows. And they said, no, no, only the ones with cracks in it. And he said, no, all the windows had cracks in it. And they looked and they couldn't see it. And then they realized he had a crack in his spectacles. 
You see, the lenses through which you look plays a role. The lenses through which you look at church or through which you, through which you look at Jesus plays a role. And maybe tonight's the time we need to change the lens and look at Jesus in awe of his glory. He's not dead. He's alive. And he reigns. He reigns from heaven. And there's a day coming that the trumpet will sound and he'll come with the sound of an archangel and we shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Hallelujah. 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 So, What's the, what's the answer to being stuck at Friday? You need to understand that the risen Savior needs to be your focus point, not the dying Savior. Yes, that's part of, that's part of salvation, understanding that Jesus died. But Romans 1, let, let's, let, I'm going to close with Romans 1. It says this, Paul, a servant of of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised before and through his prophets. We said that, we read that in Isaiah. In, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You press that button again for holy hallelujah. That verse, verse 4, there's one word that makes the difference. There's one word that I want us to apply tonight. And we leave this place, we apply that word, we make that word our own. And it's that word, he was declared to be the son of God. He was declared to be. That word declared is, is written down as declared because they didn't have the exact word. But the root of declared is horizon, which we get horizon from. So the scripture reads, Jesus was horizoned to be the Son of God by his resurrection. When Jesus died and rose again, he became the new horizon of every believer. He became the horizon. Whereas when he was in the tomb, the stone for some people was the horizon. Maybe in your, 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 in your life, finances is your horizon. You know, that word horizon is actually a limiting thing. Because of horizon, people used to think that the earth was flat. Some people still think that, but we'll pray for them. Jesus, if you, if you read, I think it's the ISV says, says it clearly, that Jesus became our horizon through his resurrection. Now, in, in, the, in the flesh, horizon is a limitation. Horizon is a boundary because they say if, you, if you're six foot tall, you can see three miles. Now, I will never know what that looks like. I, I, th I, think, I think I'm like 2.5 or 2.4 kilometers, um, um, miles. But 
horizon is a limitation. But when Jesus was, risen, uh, was raised from the dead, he became our new horizon. And he is limitless. There is no stopping him. When he rose again, he pushed back every other horizon that you ever had. He pushed back every boundary that you ever faced. He pushed it back. That stone couldn't stand in his way. He pushed back every boundary. Jesus is our horizon. We have a limitless horizon because of Jesus. So can I ask you, What's preventing you from seeing and doing what Jesus wants you to do? It could only be be because you're not looking to Jesus. We love to sing that song, eh? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know why? Because he's our horizon. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And here it comes. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So if your problem is still looming in front of you, if your problem is bigger than the mountain, than Table Mountain, if your problem is still making you depressed, then you are not looking at your horizon. The Bible says that, can I get that verse again, please? That he was declared... He was horizon to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. And then there's another verse that I didn't put on there that says, The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead resides in us. Will you allow, will you allow the spirit that exploded Jesus into life? To explode inside of you tonight. And blow away every boundary that you have and that you're battling with. Will you allow Jesus to become your new horizon? He's alive. He is risen. Amen. Amen.